The scripture says there, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. You shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians." May God bless the reading and obedience to His Word. Our Father, as we have heard Your Word, now we ask that You would feed us by it. That You would teach us about Yourself. That You would teach us about this grand story of the Exodus. 
that you would teach us about ourselves, that we would truly worship and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what would it be like to have a conversation with God? Now you say, well that's a dumb question, Jim. I have conversations with God all the time. I pray to Him every day. But I mean, I know that, and that is right. We are communicating and conversing with God. But what I mean is this. What would it be like to speak with God face to face and hear His voice audibly? To have a conversation with God. Something you could hear in your ears. What would He say? How would He say it? What would your response be? What would your attitude towards Him be? Our culture has expressed conversations with God in a variety of ways. There's a trilogy of books called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. And in this book, supposedly, it's a conversation with God. The author began writing a letter to God asking Him why all this bad stuff has happened, why, why His life is the way it is. He says, why wasn't my life working? What would it take to get it to work? Why could I not find happiness in relationships? And most emphatically, what had I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? Listen to what the author says. To my surprise, as I scribbled out the last of my bitter, unanswerable questions and prepared to toss my pen aside, my hand remained poised over the paper, as if held there by some invisible force. And abruptly, the pen began began moving on its own. I had no idea what I was about to write, but an idea seemed to be coming, so I decided to flow with it. Out came, do you really want an answer to all these questions, or are you just venting? He writes, before I knew it, I had begun a conversation. And I was not so much writing as taking dictation. So Walsh concluded that he was not doing the one writing. It was God who was speaking to him in that moment. He was having a conversation with God. Or maybe you've seen the movies like uh, Evan Almighty or Bruce Almighty. And how those characters just communicate with God person to person. No, uh, No judgment there. No fear there of those men. No concern over sin. Is that how it works? Just have a conversation with your good old buddy, old pal, a one-on-one conversation. When I was in high school, I remember one of the teenagers, well-meaning. She was probably one of the most religious teens in, in, in the group. But I remember her praying one time to God and she said it like this. What's up, God? How's it going? And even as a teenager, I knew something wasn't quite right there. Something was not quite right with those words speaking to God in that fashion. So what would it be like to have a conversation with God? I think we've lost something in some of our informality uh, in just relationships as well as in in worship. One instance in our culture is that When I grew up, I was taught to say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, to my grandparents. And my granddaddy would get me if I didn't say it, right? And we don't expect that as much these days. There's more of an informality. And perhaps we've lost something in the respect and reverence that is due to our elders. But as we read about Moses' conversation with God, we see respect. We see reverence. We see awe before Him. We should notice how God speaks to Moses And how Moses responds to this holy God. As we do so, I think we'll get a 
a better understanding of the separateness of God, the holiness of God. We'll gain a greater understanding also into our own sin and unworthiness to come before God. We'll also come to a greater awareness of the amazing grace that is in Jesus Christ that calls us, come near. Come near, not because you are worthy, but because I, Jesus, died to bring you to God. So we pick up at the beginning of chapter 3 with, with Moses tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro is the priest of Midian. Modian, uh, Moses had been there in Midian for uh, 40 years since his exile, since he was kicked out of Egypt. So he's about 80 years old at this time. And it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Uh, theologians call this theophany. That's a big word. Theophany is spelled T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. Theophany. It means God's making an appearance. God's showing up. In a visible way, you can see somehow an appearance of God. From time to time, God has done this. He's made an appearance. You can look throughout the Old Testament and see times where God shows up in a visible way. And actually, I, I think what this is, is the second person of the Trinity. The pre-incarnate, the pre-Jesus uh, before He was born physically. The Son of God in visible form. This is God appearing to Moses. And out of the, the bush came a voice. Moses, Moses. At the time, saying someone's name two times like this would be a welcoming greeting. It would say, hi, I'm here, come here. Moses, Moses. But then when he looked towards the bush, look at what God says in verse 5. Turns from what seems like a welcomed greeting to not a greeting at all. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. What kind of greeting is that? Stay back. Take your shoes off. By this, God meant you are entering into the presence of someone who is completely superior over you. You are entering into the presence of a holy God. See, the ground itself wasn't holy, was it? Why, why was this a holy place? Why was the ground holy? Was it not because the holy God was there with Him? The holy God was there present. And that called for the utmost respect, reverence, and awe. If you come into the, president, uh, if you come into the present, presence of a president, or a king, or a ruler, you show respect. Whether you like his rules or not, whether you like him or not, respect those who are in authority over you, the scripture says. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.7, Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. If we should honor our rulers and authorities over us, how much more should we honor the king of kings when we come into his presence? The word holy itself is difficult to translate it, but it means something like otherness. Otherness, separateness, transcendence. That's a big word too, but it means, uh, it means above and beyond everything you could imagine. He is transcendent over all. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at this transcendent and holy God. 
among the people of the Old Testament, to look into the face of God, to look upon God was to be in serious trouble, to be in danger. No one could look at God and live. To see the face of God meant that you would surely die. You think about uh, the, the Greek mythology of Medusa. She was so ugly and hideous that to look directly upon her face would do what? It would turn you into stone. You would turn to stone immediately because she was so hideous. With God, it's because He is so holy and beautiful. And we are such sinners that to look upon such beauty, to look upon, upon such holiness and righteousness would mean to just consume us in His holiness. Perhaps we would disintegrate in awe of who He is. Moses hid his face because God was holy, but Moses hid his face also because he was a sinner and he knew it. Remember, he was a murderer. He had killed a man. And he knew that he was in the presence of Almighty God. So he turned away in fear. And this is actually a consistent reaction to those who see the power of God. Remember the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord sitting on His throne. And he said, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips in the presence of a people with unclean lips. He was undone. Peter, when Jesus did an amazing miracle, said, depart from me, Jesus. The consistent reaction to seeing the holiness and power of God is to turn away. This is what happens when people see and understand the transcendence and holiness of God. Friends, I think we have something, something we can learn from this. We have something to learn from this, about how we approach God in our worship and in prayer. The same God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush is present with us here this morning. Have you realized that? We are standing on holy ground. Not because this building is holy. Not because the, the floor itself is holy or set apart. It's because... God has promised to be present with His people. Whenever they gather for worship, whenever they gather to hear His Word and praise Him, He has promised, I am with you. We are on holy ground. In the presence of a holy God. And this means we must come before Him with reverence and awe. Now, don't get me wrong though. This doesn't exclude joy. It doesn't mean that we don't come with joy this is one thing that I've been blessed and encouraged with over and over again in our church. I've heard comments from guest preachers who have come and said, there just seems to be so much joy. That's a great thing. doesn't exclude joy. But perhaps we could call it a, a reverent joy. Right? It's not a silly joy. It's not a, a flippant joy. It's not night, a night of karaoke. Right? We have joy in God and yet we stand in awe of who He is. We don't have to keep our distance from God as Moses did. Do not come near, He says. Stay away. But to us, because of Jesus Christ, He says, come closer. Draw near. We don't have to fear as Moses did. For we are fully welcome to approach His throne. The throne of the Almighty God. 
We can approach His throne with confidence because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews 4.16, probably a verse you're familiar with, says this, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So how can we sinners approach this holy God with such confidence? How can we approach Him without fear? After all, He is holy and we are sinners. Won't we just be consumed like wax in the heat of the midday sun? And the answer is yes, if. Yes, if not for Jesus. You see, when Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, He was being consumed by the wrath of God against sin. Against our sin, Jesus was the substitute. He was the only one who could rightly come before the presence of God with joy and without fear because He was perfectly righteous. And yet He willingly left His heavenly home. He was willingly disowned by the Father so that we could draw near to God. He endured the wrath of God so that we could experience the love of God. The closeness to God. Some of you here this morning may be far away from God. You are not close to God. You, You know who Jesus is, but you do not know Jesus. You do not have a relationship with Him. You've never bowed your knee to Him. You haven't turned away from your own sin. You've never called out on Jesus to save you. You are far from God and He says to you, do not come any closer or you will be consumed by my holiness. But He also says, come to me through Jesus. Come to me through Jesus. Jesus is the way. He said it Himself. I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So turn to Jesus and you will be brought into the presence of the Holy God. And believers, consider how you come to God in worship. Do you prepare for worship in the morning before you get here? Do you even give a thought to your attitude of how you are coming before the Holy God of the universe, the one who created you and saved you and sustained you? Do you come with reverence and awe that we are in the presence of God? And do you come with great joy expecting God to work in your heart? Expecting, God, you're going to do something this morning. I know it. You're going to feed me by your word. As I worship you, you're going to fill me with your spirit. How do you come to God in worship? Moses was filled with awe at who God was. But in his conversation with God, he was about to hear the compassion and mercy of God. He was about to hear of God's plan. In verse 7, we read some of the same words we read before in in chapter 2. The Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. And bring them to a good land. A land filled with milk and honey. That's... That means an abundant, prosperous land. This was it. God was about to work. All the suffering and slavery, all the waiting for God, God was about to do something. He was about to work. God had come down. It was as if the king had stood up from his throne, walked down the steps of his palace, 
in order to rescue his own people. See, although God is transcendent overall, he is also near. He has come near. He comes down to his creation to make himself known, to bring help to his creatures. And in verse 10, God designates Moses as the man for the job. Look there at verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Up to this point, Moses maybe had thought, okay, what does all this have to do with me? That's a great plan. It's great that you've seen the affliction of your people, but why are you talking to me about all this? And we see that Moses' response is, Perhaps a reluctance, acceptance of it. Who am I that I should go to the king of Egypt? Who am I that I should go rescue your people? Surely there's someone more qualified than I am to rescue them. Someone uh, who is more pure. Someone who has less baggage than I have. Someone with more popularity among the people and the Egyptians. Who am I to go? Maybe you've asked similar questions. Who am I to go and speak to my neighbor, my co-worker, my family member about Jesus? Who am I to do that? Maybe the preacher can go. He has a, a way with words about things like that. Who am I to go and do that? Who am I to go on a foreign mission trip? There are others who have more talents and abilities. There are others who have less baggage than I have. I don't have all that much to offer. Or who am I to start discipling other believers or start getting together with one or two others and reading the Word and, and praying together, who am I to do that? I have lots of other things to do. Surely there's someone who can do a better job at that. God has an answer to all those objections and God has an answer to Moses' reluctance. Look at what he says in verse 12. But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you. That I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Did you see what God promises Moses there? Two things. He promised first his presence I will be with you. And second, he promises a sign. The people, here's a sign, Moses, that you're doing what I'm telling you to do, and I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you'll come back to this mountain and you'll worship God. And notice that most, uh, both of these promises involve faith on the part of Moses. It would take faith for Moses to believe that God was indeed with him. You know, how, how do you know God's with you when you can't see Him? And it would take faith because this sign wouldn't actually come about until this part of the process was over. After Moses had already gone in and brought the Israelites out. It would take faith. It would take faith in the midst of danger, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of possibly being killed because Pharaoh had had enough. And this is the life we lead as well. We must walk by faith and not by sight, right? My grandfather has been blind since the age of 13. He can't live by sight. Now, in his mind's eye, I'm sure he sees many things. He has accomplished many great things despite his blindness. When he goes somewhere though, he has to hold on to someone's arm. Do you know what he's doing? He is actively trusting that person. He's not going to fall down a bunch of steps. He's not going to lead him into a place where he can't go. He is walking, literally, 
by faith and not by sight. And this is what the Christian life is for us. Walking not by what we see around us, by our circumstances, by things that are scary that are all around us, things that may cause us frustration or pain. Walking by faith that Jesus is the one who is leading us wherever we go. That He is with us. That He will be with us. The same, the very same God who promised His presence to Moses has promised to be with us as well. In fact, it's not just that the Lord is with us. He has indwelt us by His Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy, notice the word Holy, by the Holy Spirit of God. So as you wage war against your sin each day, you are waging war against your sin, right? As you wage war against your sin, the Lord is with you, working to enable you, to empower you, to overcome sin as you courageously speak the name of Jesus. You're doing that right, courageously speaking the name of Jesus. As you do that, the Lord is with you, giving you the words to speak. As you carry out the work of raising your kids and the instruction of the Lord, and when you feel like you can't take it anymore and it's just too much, the Lord is there with you using the little things that you are doing each step of the way to draw your children closer and closer to the Lord. He is with you. He's watching over you. And as you face a deadly diagnosis, the Lord is with you. To bring you comfort. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Listen to this. Maybe you haven't understood this part before. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. Do you know what the picture is there? It's the picture of being surrounded. By an army of people. Who are ready to do you harm. Their swords are ready. Their spears are are ready to attack. But the Lord is with you. And because the Lord is with you, they can do nothing to harm you. It's as if there's a huge force field all around you, and anything they throw at you just falls to the side. And there, in the presence of your enemies, the Lord prepares for you your favorite meal. Nourishes you. Comforts you. The Lord is there with you and you have a joyful feast right there in the presence of your enemies. And each step of the way, Moses and the Israelites would be protected in this way. The Lord, I will be with you even as they are in the presence of their enemies. Well, we have one more sign. We have more later, but one more sign in this chapter of Moses' reluctance for this task. Verse 13, he said, What if I go to the Israelites saying, The God of your fathers has sent me. And they say to you, What is his name? Then what do I say, God? Right? Moses is starting to come up with the questions. They're starting to pile up like we do often when we know we should do something but don't want to. God answers Moses three times. First, with just his name. I am who I am. And then he says, Tell them, I am has sent me. And then finally, in verse 15, he tells Moses, Tell them, the I Am, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. I am who I am? What kind of name is that? Is that even a name? 
Well, that's the Hebrew translation of the name of God. Yahweh. It means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Another way of translating it is, I cause to be what I cause to be. Right? God doesn't need any explanation of who He is. He is the meaning of what it means to exist. There is no source which has given existence to God. He has given existence to all things. So this name Yahweh explains God's self-existence, His independence. He alone is God. But obviously, this is not the first time this name Yahweh has been used in the Old Testament. Did you know, if you just look in your Bible, you'll find many instances where you see the word Lord in all capital letters, in small caps, L-O-R-D in capital letters. Whenever it's used in that way, that's speaking of this divine name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And it's used in the New Testament too. In John 8, 58 and 59, the Pharisees are questioning the authority of Jesus. And Jesus pulls out His trump card. He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, do you know what He said? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is claiming this name. I am who I am. He is claiming to be the sovereign and holy God who has created all things. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. This, Jesus, is the holy, almighty, one true God. That is amazing. I am who I am. I calls to be what I calls to be. And God says, here's what I'm about to cause to be. He tells Moses, three stages of the plan. First, you're going to go to the elders of Israel, gather them together and tell them that the Lord has sent me. The Lord has appeared to me. Verse 18, they will listen to your voice. And the second stage is you and the elders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt and you will say, let us go on a three-day journey. Let all the Hebrews go on a three-day journey to worship our God. Now, probably though, this is a Hebrew way of speaking that meant a much longer period of time, which shows the reluctance of Pharaoh to let them go. This phrase means something like a long, indefinite period of time. How we might say, uh, do you have just a second? Do we really mean that? No, it could, it could mean 30 minutes. The Pharaoh will not listen, God said. Even if he is compelled by a mighty hand, he will not listen. The phrase there refers to a mighty human army, not God. He wouldn't let him go even if a great army came against him. But God would stretch out His hand against Egypt and do all kinds of wonders. And then the third step of the plan is that they would plunder the Egyptians and leave. This sounds more like a conquest than a rescue. More like a, a waging war than a, an escape. You will plunder them. You will plunder the Egyptians. Notice that God is completely sovereign over all this. He tells them exactly how it's going to play out, right? He tells them, here's what's going to happen. Now, not all the details, but He gives them the general big headings over everything. He knows all these things because He is the one who has planned all these things. He has set the table. He has set everything ready to go just as it will be. That's why He's able to tell them exactly how it's going to go. He is the one who's going to carry it through according to His own will and desire. 
And yet Moses would still have to walk by faith. Have you ever thought that your life would be easier? You'd be able to trust God more if He just revealed all the details to you beforehand? Don't you think God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Of course He does. He knows what's going to happen in your life two weeks from now. Six months from now. A year, five years, ten years. Why doesn't God just reveal all that stuff to us so we can believe Him? The answer is, yeah, it might be easier. But since when did God promise us an easy life? Is that what God wants for us? Just to have an easy life? No, He wants us to glorify Him. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to grow in our holiness. The Scripture says, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. We wouldn't grow in sanctification, in holiness and righteousness, if He revealed all His plans. We wouldn't have to walk by faith if He revealed all His plans. So just as Moses would have to trust God, we must trust Him too. We must walk by faith and not by sight. We must believe His promises. Believe it when He says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Believe it when He says that He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able He will give you a way of escape that you may endure it. Do you believe God? Do you walk by faith? Believe God when He says that our light and momentary afflictions can't even compare to the glories that we will receive in His kingdom. Look to Him and believe. Walk by faith and not by sight. Trust in the great I Am. Let's go to Him in prayer. Perhaps an appropriate response at this time would be to stand before His holiness and confess your sins to Him. Just confess. Our Heavenly Father, as we think about our sins and how we have fallen short and how we have rebelled against You, we know that our sins are more than we could count. It's like decay within our bones. The more we keep digging, the more we see. Father, we confess our sins of anger towards one another. Our sins of lust and of pride and of greed. We confess the sins, the idols of our hearts. We confess our sin of apathy that we have not sought to grow as we should. We lay all these before you, your, your majesty, you the holy God, knowing that we deserve Suffering, knowing that we deserve your punishment. And you draw us near. You draw us near by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Draw us closer to you, Lord. 
That's our heart's desire. Draw us nearer to You so that You would change us. That we would leave this place ready to obey You and give You glory. Ready to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.